Good morning again. I'm, I'm with you, Cliff. This morning, Christmas Eve thing's kind of throwing me off. But you know what's unique then about it is that we have all day to look forward to, right? How many of you are ready for today? You guys ready for today? How many of you are not ready for today? You, I see you in the back, not ready for today. How many of you have maybe some last-minute shopping? Your kids drank all the milk, and now you have to go to Meyer today? I had to go to Meyer yesterday, and I was questioning my sanity as I was standing in a really, really long line with some last-minute Christmas packages. But um, so good to be with you today. My name's Lisa, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I am so happy to have the kids, some kids in the audience today. Kids, I have a question for you. Where are you at? I'm trying to see you. Kids, uh, now, when I was your age, it, this was the longest day of the year. It was so long. Now, if you, if you could, would you press a button to make tomorrow Christmas be today, like right now? If you could, would you press that button? Anybody? No? Like, you could just quit the whole service thing. You wouldn't have to hear me talk. You just press it, and Christmas is here. No? Well, you guys have some good self-restraint. I might have pressed that button when I was a kid. But see, here's the thing, is that there's a lot of preparations and planning that's going into the rest of today to make tomorrow what it needs to be. For the whole month or even before, we've, we've been doing a lot of baking, some of us, right? Parties, feasts, we're getting ready for special vacations. We've had this chaotic challenge of trying to coordinate family schedules. There's just been so much that has gone into prepare for today and tomorrow. Why? Because timing matters. Timing matters, and despite many of our best laid intentions, sometimes bad timing still happens. Maybe some of you have had this experience when you've been planning for a vacation and you've been trying to get everything together, hoping you remember everything, and you finally got in the car or you're, you're on your way, and then all of a sudden you have this sinking feeling that you forgot something, like maybe your son <laughs> at home, alone. And then when it finally pops in your head, Kevin, that he's been left home alone, well, it's too late because you're flying over the ocean. <laughs> Bad timing. Bad timing, right? Or, or maybe uh, take our friend here, Buddy the Elf, who no matter how hard he tried, to get his dad's attention. Dad, it's me, buddy. It was always bad timing, bad timing. And then, of course, there's this guy who's just bad timing personified. I don't, I don't know if there's ever, ever a good time for Cousin Eddie to drop by. Maybe you have a cousin like this. I hope that's not you. <laughs> now, if we'd look back at the first Christmas, I think we would probably chalk up several bad timings, right? Appearingly bad timings of the first Christmas for Mary. I mean, you have an unwed teenager that got pregnant. Bad timing. You've got this mandated census that caused this young couple to travel 90 miles by foot to another city while she's in her third trimester. Bad timing. Mary had to give birth away from home in a foreign city that was super crowded. I'd say that's bad timing. Then how about a bunch of eager, dirty shepherds just wanting to drop by <laughs> after you gave birth? 
Bad timing. On the surface, this Christmas story seems to be filled with a lot of bad timing, doesn't it? And I was thinking the other day, what makes bad timing bad? Like, how would you define bad timing? And as I thought about it, I thought, well, uh, simply, I just don't get what I want when I want it. That sounds like bad timing. So maybe we could chalk it up as not comfortable and not convenient. So what makes something good timing? Well, the Apostle Paul has something to say about good timing in Galatians 4, 4, when he writes this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Now, some translations would say, when the fullness of time had come. So, in other words, time had reached its completeness, not lacking. Everything happened when it needed to happen. Everything was filled up. All the bases were covered. All the I's were dotted. All the T's were crossed. Every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, every century, every millennium. Paul writes, when the set time had fully come. In other words, he's saying it was the right time. When all that needed to be completed was completed, God sent his son to be born of a woman. Now, from what we know of the story, was God's timing comfortable or convenient? Many would argue, no. But I can guarantee you that the timing of God was careful and it was complete. God thinks things through and he does it with love. He's not careless, he's careful, and he's complete, and that's good timing. So if I had a chance, if I had a chance, I'd say, Paul, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like this whole full timing, when the full timing came? What was God orchestrating for this timing of the birth of Jesus to be complete? Because it just seems to appear that there was a lot of less than ideal situations in this story. Now, clearly, we'll never know the answer to that because the mind of God is too deep and it's too big and it's too mysterious and too infinite and too wise. We won't know. However, I think there's a few clues in our passage today, and I also think there's a few clues from history that will lead us to some cool discoveries about the careful and the complete timing of God. Now, before we move into Luke 2, I just want to draw your attention to something in Luke 1 by observation. And if you recall, we we're learning of this birth narrative, and we, we meet these characters, Zachariah and Elizabeth, the old people who got pregnant, surprise. But what was so amazing about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they were still in faithful service to God. He was a priest. And what's crazy about that, it had been 400 years since fresh revelation from God. And so you have this Jewish spirituality that had transcended time of silence. You have these Jews that are still holding on to hope that the, that the Messiah is going to come. And when they have this divine encounter with the angel... They break out into song, and their songs are actually filled with rich theology and prophecy. And we find that with Mary, too. And if you fast forward in the story, we find that with Simeon and Anna as well. So there is this rich 
spirit, uh, Jewish spirituality that is happening, happening at the time of the story of Jesus. And I, I got to believe that it's getting them poised and primed for his coming. 2,000 years of poetry and prophecy and stories and images and visions, and they were ready. So let's jump into Luke 2 in our passage. In verse 1, we read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, to draw your attention to a few things, in those days, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was Rome's first emperor. So he was the top dog. He had all the power in the world. And what did he decide to do with his power? Well, one of the things is that he decided, I'm going to issue a decree for a census for my entire empire. He wanted to count every single person, every single head. Why? I would say mostly for taxation purposes, right? Money. So he decrees for this census to happen. And what that required then is for everyone to leave their town and register. Not convenient. And something that would be a massive undertaking. So my question is, how is everyone going to be able to do this? How are you going to move all these pieces, these, these people from place to place? I mean, do you have any idea how big this Roman Empire was at the time? You guys ready for a super-duper fast history lesson today on Christmas Eve? Yes, you are. I know you are. Well, the first, another factor I want to draw your attention to is what we call Pax Romana. So it means Roman peace. Caesar Augustus is most well, well known for 200 years of stability across his empire. Now, when I heard Pax Romana, it sounds like an Italian wrestling arena, you know? But it was actually a time of peace. And if we look at a map here, the region extended from way up here in like northern Great Britain across this entire region. Here's the Mediterranean Sea all the way down to what we would consider modern day Iraq. And so this was Roman domination. There weren't many wars. There was economic prosperity. There was unity. There was flourishing trade, unprecedented peace, power, and expansion. Boy, what a time to be alive. Now, because of this, this enabled better traveling to happen for people going from cultures and, and countries place to place. So that's a good thing. And speaking of traveling, roads would be nice because I don't think there were planes then. And did you know that Rome is attributed for a very sophisticated, um, the Roman Empire was attributed for a very sophisticated road system. And that's what all these yellow lines are. So they didn't invent concrete, but they certainly knew how to use it well. And again, this, this road system just covered the entire expanse of the empire. So I think roads are helpful when people are traveling. This was also the time, they say, uh, around uh, the year 6 BC that Caesar Augustus erected these pillars and they were at the center of Rome, and so out of that, all the roads spread, and that's where we get our saying, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. Well, another uh, development at that time was the spread of Greek language. 
I think that's important when you're trying to communicate across the wide empire. So Koine Greek was something that started to spread towards the east, and this is where the, this kind of shadowy area is where Koine Greek was. Latin was mostly to the left. But it was a common second language at the time, and it was used um, not only in academia, but also in commerce, and allowed for better trade, and it allowed people to communicate. So between all these factors of you have this Jewish spirituality, stability, the empire, roads, and language, we are seeing some rather large-scale developments, aren't we, that are going into this time when Caesar Augustus decreed the census. So now back to our story. Where was Joseph and Mary coming from? Well, in Luke 2, 4, we read, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be, mar to be married to him and was expecting a child. So we get a clue to the region here. Nazareth, which was in this broader area of Judea, which is in Israel, and we find out that they're traveling to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles and then it says, while they were there, so they made the trip, the time came, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So where is all this happening? Right here in the intersection of so much of what was spreading at the time in history. Right there at the intersection of this Greek language and the road system. Now, I'm pretty certain that when Caesar Augustus decreed this census, he couldn't care less about Nobodyville Nazareth or about this young teenage couple that was trying to rub two pennies together and figure out how they were going to have a baby and live life, much less walk 90 miles to their hometown to register. I mean, he's probably over here hanging out sitting on his throne of lies, <laughs> eating beef and cheese. No. <laughs> and here, right here in Israel, was where Mary and Joseph were. So far apart, he couldn't care less about them. But God did. God cared. In fact, God had been planning this for a very, very, very long time. In fact, we read in Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So 700 years earlier when Micah made this prophecy, God declared that a ruler, the ancient of days, would be born in Bethlehem. What did Paul say? But when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. You mean to tell me that God uses rulers like Caesar Augustus, who hunger for domination, to set the stage for the timing of the birth of his son, Jesus? Yeah. You mean God worked through technological and cultural advances like roads and language to set the stage for the setting of the time of the birth of his son, Jesus? 
Yeah. You mean God actually uses government orders to set the stage for the timing for the birth of his son Jesus? Yeah. Because God works through everything, places and cultures and systems and even imperfect rulers to accomplish his careful and complete timing. And when that timing came, God didn't hesitate to spread the news. We continue reading this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. I mean, can you imagine? We probably can't. A bunch of shepherds out on a field at night doing their thing, minding their own business, and all of a sudden out breaks in the sky this bright light, this angel to announce this news. Of course they were terrified. Of course. And what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And get this, today. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Today. Today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Today finally came. The set time had finally come. And so God sent his son, born of a woman. The complete and careful plan of God declared through the angels to a bunch of shepherds today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now perhaps all of a sudden a bunch of bad timings maybe seemed to start to disappear as God's plan was unfolding. God knew the bigger story he was writing and all these seemingly unrelated factors at this macro level, economics and politics and cultural advancement and even geography, were all converging to this set moment in time for Jesus to be born. And I doubt Mary and Joseph, you know, were laying in bed at night saying, oh man, can you believe this? This is the best timing for our son to be born. I mean, talk about a time in history when all things are lining up and we have the best chance for the news of his life, death, and resurrection to spread. We have this common second language. That's going to be helpful when scriptures are written about his life. I doubt they said that. They had no clue. Yeah, we've got these roads too. So these missionaries like the Apostle Paul can travel along them and share the good news. Which, by the way, the Apostle Paul did use some of the Roman roads at the time. Mary and Joseph had no idea the bigger picture of what God was doing in their life and what that meant for human history. But you know what they did know, what the shepherds told them. And scripture tells us that the shepherds received the news from the angels and they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and then they said the same thing to them. They had to pass on the news. So they probably said something like, Mary and Joseph, today in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. They're like, yeah, yeah, he's here. 
the Messiah, the Lord. And I love how in this declaration, the angels had said, to you, to you, to you, a Savior has been born to you. And Luke writes that Mary heard these words and treasured them and pondered them in her heart. What if this Christmas, instead of dwelling on all the yesterdays that didn't go well, and perhaps dreaming about the hopes of all the tomorrows, what if this Christmas we decide to dwell on the gift of Jesus that is available to us today? What if this Christmas, instead of drowning in the situations around us that seem like bad timing, we're able to turn our attention to the God of time himself, the God of the universe who cares just as much about you as he did Mary and Joseph and the angels, the God of the universe who cares just as much about working through empires and leaders and rulers and cultures and systems, as he does about you. Look, I don't know what keeps you up at night. I don't know what things in, in your life that just seem to be bad timing, what you may be waiting for. But would it change anything if you were to be able to believe today that God's timing for you is careful and it's complete? Our Father knows and he's planning and making preparations for our today and tomorrow. So let's hold off on wanting to press that tomorrow button and speed things along and trust his timing. For when the set time fully came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Emmanuel, God with us today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the perfect gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you are never in a rush, but that your timing is careful and it's complete. God, help us to trust you in that. And God, in our waiting, in our confusion, and in our frustrations, Lord, I pray that you would draw near and fill us with your peace and your perspective. And God, I pray for each person here today that we can rest in the gift of your son Jesus, the Savior of the world, born to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.